0: RPC Radio Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode...
1: Um, just to throw a few you know, figures out there, I think since around 1950, we've, we've already lost around half of the world's coal reef power, with a good chunk of this, I think around 14%, occurring since uh, 2009. And with the ever-increasing pressures for climate change, the, the window of protecting these ecosystems is, is closed, you know, closing rapidly.
0: My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner in the law firm RPC, And in each episode, I'm joined by a guest, and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week, our guest is Sarah Conway, and our topic is the insurance of coral reefs. Sarah began her career in traditional finance, but pivoted to conservation finance in 2007, when she worked in Bali for Starling Resources. Then, in 2013, after securing a Master's in Environmental Economics and Climate Change, Sarah joined the U.S. Department of State, where she served as lead climate finance negotiator for the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, and she contributed to the Paris Agreement in 2015. She then worked freelance for six years as a climate and conservation finance expert. But in July 2022, she joined WTW, where she currently leads the Ecosystem Resilience Practice, which, amongst other things arranges insurance products for the protection of coral reefs, which is what we're going to discuss today. So Sarah, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Peter. Happy to be here.
0: And before we start, I should say Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2024. I hope you all had a wonderful break over the festive season. And Sarah, Happy New Year to you too. Um, Now, we're going to be talking today about coral reefs. And I guess... Well, I guess the obvious first question is, why? After all, coral reefs have survived in various forms for millions of years without the benefit of insurance. Uh, The first coral reefs formed around 485 million years ago in the early Ordovician period, and they will survive us, presumably. So why are we even talking about insurance for coral reefs? Why can't we just leave them to their own devices?
1: Yeah, no, it's true. Coral reefs are quite resilient, but, you know, they're facing serious threats, right? Mainly from the effects of climate change, but also from unsustainable fishing and land-based pollution as well. Um, cyclones are, are causing exceptionally strong winds that generate waves that crash into the shallow reef areas and that damage the, the reef itself. At the same time, you know, the, the force of these waves and the currents and the impacts of sand and rubble that are tossed around uh, by this underwater turbulence not to mention, of course, the plastic pollution and other human-derived debris that are washing into the ocean during or immediately after an event can, can cause extensive damage, right, to the coral reef um, structure. Recovery after that type of battering is, is a slow process, which, if sort of left alone, could potentially take a decade or more. Uh, this means, you know, that more coral reefs around the world will not have time to fully regrow before the next cyclone hits, which, you know, some estimates indicate are likely to be more frequent, as well as more severe, at least in some geographies uh, due to climate change. Um, just to throw a few, you know, figures out there, I think since around 1950, we've we've already lost around half of the world's coral reef cover, with a good chunk of this, I think, around 14%, occurring since uh, 2009. And with the ever-increasing pressures from climate change, the, the window of protecting these ecosystems is, is closed, you know, closing rapidly.
0: So we're really talking about the physical damage to coral reefs, where a storm kind of smashes the coral reef apart. Um, so I'm, I was going to ask this later on, but I'm, I'm going to ask it now because it seems to fit better now, which is to those of us who know nothing about coral reefs, the thought is, well, if it's smashed to bits, then it's smashed to bits. I mean, how 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 can that be repaired? But what is the, the the remediation process that is that is adopted?
1: So this is obviously something that needs to be very sort of context and location specific, developed, you know, a close partnership with those on the ground to have an understanding for the ecosystem, the types of corals, the types of interventions that would potentially have success. It would then probably in the immediate term involve things like removing debris from the ecosystem so that it doesn't continue to you know smash around and break up the corals even more. And then most likely there's an element of the reef response plan that involves actually reattaching the corals that have broken off um, back to the reef. Or in some cases, there's also efforts to fix pieces to nursery beds for future outplanting. So again, there's a lot of, I think, scientifically understood and proven interventions that can be deployed in the immediate aftermath of a damaging hurricane or cyclone event that, if conducted within a sort of 30 to 60-day window, can lead to a higher sort of chance of success in the ecosystem being able to recover as close to its pre-event state as possible. That if not conducted within that window of opportunity your your chance of success is dramatically diminished
0: wow okay so so so, so there's all sort of, the two elements to it the and uh, the, uh, please forgive me for being a bit basic here but effectively you sort of glue it back together again so that's one option and then you sort of plant it in a different place is that right so it's almost like seed... I appreciate that they're animals not plants but but it's almost like seedlings um so so you, you well, yeah, I, I think I saw this on, on Planet Earth 3 um, last year where, where you know the, the, you actually just attach it to a metal frame or something, don't you? And then the coral grows over the metal frame. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. That can be one of the approaches deployed. And again, it really will depend upon the local context and understanding of the scientists and conservationists that are involved in that particular area to determine, again, based on the coral species, other variables, which types of interventions are most likely to be, uh, you know, most impactful and and successful.
0: And um, I mean, obviously, that that there is merit in protecting coral reefs just simply for the sake of protecting coral reefs. But um, why is it important to us that reefs are protected? And I appreciate that this is a very anthropocentric question for which I apologise. But what have coral reefs ever done for us?
1: I mean, I I actually think maybe the question should be, what haven't they done? Um, But no, in in all seriousness, you know, coral reefs have and continue to provide a number of direct and indirect benefits to society. One to highlight in particular is the coastal protection that they provide from storm surge and erosion from waves. In fact, if you have a healthy, intact coral reef um, on your coastline, it can reduce wave energy by 97% before hitting shore. Uh, A few other examples, you know, coral reefs provide millions of jobs through tourism, fishing, recreational activities. Um, They allow for advancements in medical research, they preserve biodiversity, they support the fishing industry. Whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: I'm I'm sorry, so I'm just (laughs) going to have to, medical medical research, kind of talk us through that one.
1: Yeah, so there's, I mean, a lot of examples here, but I mean, maybe to pick on one, so... A chemical that has been found in in sea sponges in Caribbean reefs is the basis for a drug used to treat leukemia. Wow. So these things, you know, are providing, you know, pretty impressive and potentially groundbreaking um, advancements for for treatments for cancer and and beyond.
0: Sorry, I I interrupted you as you were listing all the, the merits and benefits of coral reefs. I
1: mean, maybe just to mention a few more you know, another one that is clearly very relevant is the the sort of contribution of coral reefs to healthy fishery stocks and therefore food security and, and livelihoods, especially for coastal communities. Globally, fish account for something like 20% of the population's intake of animal protein. And in some countries, this can go upwards of 50% or even more. Several studies have attempted to, you know, kind of calculate the total economic value that coral reefs provide to fish. To society, they range from you know numbers like 375 billion to 2.7 trillion per year, um, which of course are big numbers, right? And 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 one could certainly question some of the methodologies or what they really mean. But the main point is that coral reefs do provide a great deal of direct and indirect benefits to society, and, and as such, we should do everything in our power to protect them.
0: So let's talk about the basics um, of the insurance products that that you pull together through as WTW. First, the products are parametric in nature. So please could you explain to us what that actually means and also what needs to happen for the policy to be triggered?
1: Right. Okay. so starting with parametric insurance. Parametric insurance is a risk financing instrument that pays out a pre agreed amount to a policyholder according to predefined event characteristics, for example, peak width speed. The predefined event characteristics are selected such that they effectively proxy the loss or damage or impact. The pre agreed event parameter that triggers a payout must be uh, clear and robust. So, for example, it would be something like cumulative annual rainfall at an agreed weather station, or the intensity and location of a hurricane. Unlike indemnity insurance, which requires, you know, a loss adjustment process that can be lengthy, months, years, parametric insurance pays out within weeks of a triggering event. So, I guess now turning specifically to parametric insurance for coral reefs. So, a fundamental consideration when designing an insurance product is, of course, ensuring that the product responds, triggers a payout, for events which cause damage to the natural asset that is being insured. For more conventional insurance, this is achieved by developing a view of risk, right? By looking at the history of damaging events. In this case, identifying the cyclones that have caused significant impacts on reefs. To address this, uh, we at WTW developed something called a cyclone reef damage model, which actually simulates the likely damage that reefs would have experienced from past cyclone events. This involves combining information on essentially the sort of hazard exposure and vulnerability of the coral reef to cyclone impacts. So um, cyclone wind speed, reef area, live coral cover, reef vulnerability to cyclone impacts. In terms of the insurance structure itself, um, I guess first, and it's probably become clear, but peak wind speed is selected as the the fundamental hazard parameter to proxy hurricane or cyclone intensity. Normally, we use what is called a CAT in nested circles or gridded parametric for which payouts are triggered at pre-agreed hurricane or cyclone intensity thresholds that are gridded in the form of concentric circles around each site. The starting point for this and nested circles structure um, is usually four concentric circles or ellipses with the innermost circle encompassing the covered area of interest, i.e. the reef itself. Then three subsequent circles are spaced at 25, 50, and 75 kilometer buffers from this inner circle. So spacing the circles, you know, in this way at these increments aims to capture the proportional decrease in wind speed and therefore associated damage with distance from the, the storm center, i.e. The, the storm track. These circles are accompanied by a payout table, which specifies the payout percentage um, of the site or program limit based on the peak wind speed recorded in that zone for any given qualifying event. So. In summary, these payout rates account for the spatial distribution of event intensity across a covered geography with the highest payout rate um, associated with a category 5 hurricane or cyclone that passes right through the bullseye, right Right through the the center concentric circle that's drawn around the reef itself.
0: Wow. That was more complicated than I was expecting.
1: (laughs) It is a bit complicated, but I I figured it was worth sort of walking through all the various steps and components. <laughs> oh,
0: absolutely, there, there, there's there's a, 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 in my in my simple mind, I just thought you know wind speed gets above a certain level, there's a payout. I hadn't really thought about kind of distance from the reef and how hurricanes move. And yeah, no, that's fascinating. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, and uh, you already talked about insureds, um, but what what sort of organisations uh, might be interested in purchasing these products? Is it Is it limited to governments or does it go beyond that?
1: So it might be easier to use an example in this case. So um, let's look at the MAR insurance program. Very briefly, the MAR insurance program is a regional financial mechanism that uses parametric insurance to rapidly deploy funds to community-led response activities which repair reef damage following destructive hurricane impacts. Um, These response activities are, are helping to boost recovery and enhance the conservation of endangered coral reef ecosystems along the 1,000-kilometer Mesoamerican reef that spans from Mexico, Belize, Guatemala, and Honduras. For this particular program, the MAR Fund, which is a regional environmental conservation fund, whose mission is to drive regional funding and partnerships for the conservation, restoration, and sustainable use of the MAR, serves as the policyholder. Um, In this case, MARFUN partners with conservation entities in each of the covered areas across those four countries, in which there's currently 11 covered areas, and via something called their Reef Rescue Initiative, provides capacity building for reef guardians and ensures that each of these 11 areas has a reef response protocol for if when a triggering event occurs. Then, if a triggering event occurs, our fund would receive the payout from the insurer, usually within weeks of the event, and immediately transfer it on to the relevant local partner to allow them to execute the response protocol.
0: Um, and uh, uh, with apologies for what is going to be a legal question, um, but the, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, uh, how's the issue of insurable interest um, resolved in all of this? Because um, I should explain to anyone listening who, who's not aware of what insurable interest is, it's... it's it's a slightly nebulous term um, but in essence it means that, that the insured must have some form of interest in uh, a financial interest in the thing being insured so so my house i have an insurable interest in my house because if it burns down i personally will suffer um, a loss but i do not have an insurable interest in anyone else's home because i don't suffer a loss if that, if that house burns down but but in, in this case if something bad happens to the coral reef the NGO, or whoever it may be who's, who's paying the insurance premium, will not suffer a loss. The, the, the NGO does not own the reef. So, so, so where is the insurable interest in that? How does that work?
1: Taking your specific example, you know, no, in that case, the, the NGO does not own the reef. But if its mission is related to the restoration and conservation of the ecosystem within the covered areas... And if it has a track record of undertaking its mission by putting financial resources into conservation of the reef in question, and if they have agreements with relevant government authorities in place to undertake reef restoration activities at covered areas during the the risk period, during the the period of the insurance policy, that may be sufficient to show an insurable interest in the reef. Another uh, way to sort of think about this or a complementary view is one where the business of the NGO, so the thing it's it's raising money to do, is to conserve the reef. Um, and so to not be in the position to respond quickly and at scale when an event which causes damage to the reef undermines said business model, right? So in other words, it's in the interest of the NGO to be able to finance response to a damaging event because to not do so would undermine their business model. But... You know, these are just a, a few sort of ways in which one could come up a question of insurable interest in, in these types of situations, but would say that, again, it's very sort of jurisdiction and insurer-specific and, and most likely an issue that will need to be resolved by by the lawyers involved in the transaction.
0: Yeah, and actually you said earlier on that it's, it's, it's not insurance of the coral reef necessarily, it is insurance of the NGO's financial obligation to repair the fight the, the coral reef so effectively the, the, so the ngo does suffer a loss in which it has an insurable interest because it has an obligation to repair the reef
1: exactly yep yeah exactly yeah so okay. and in the absence of in the absence of that financial liquidity right they would potentially need to draw on on their own financial resources of which
0: exactly yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good. Thank you for answering that. I, I, I'm as a lawyer, I'm much happier now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you, you have soothed my mind. And uh, have these products been been popular? Um, you've already mentioned the the MAR, so the, the Mesoamerican Reef, um, scheme. Um, and but are you able to give us kind of any examples of of where coral reef insurance has been purchased?
1: Uh, For example, we supported the Nature Conservancy in launching the first ever coral reef insurance policy in the U.S. for the reefs around the state of Hawaii. Um, In that particular case, the policy will provide money for rapid coral reef repair and restoration across Hawaii immediately following hurricane, um, as well as tropical storm damage. I guess one additional example to highlight we have been working to design and place the first several core reef policy in the Pacific region uh, for the reefs actually in the Lao seascape of Fiji, working closely with a local conservation NGO uh, with some very generous support from a, a large corporation to help in the design and, and to finance the premium. In this case, we're um, actually innovating sort of beyond the, the pan use case that targets specifically or solely rapid reef response to also include a payout use case related to community assistance. For example, uh, deployment or, of water, food rations, uh, and a chicken coop would be provided. This supports overall food security and also has a sort of ecosystem benefit by potentially reducing the need for communities to fetch in the immediate aftermath of an event to, to just sort of give the ecosystem a little bit of, of a break as it, as it tries to recover.
0: So that's brilliant. So it's not just a a physical loss policy in that in that respect. It that there's a there's a business interruption element for, uh, say, the fishers or the people who are does that include tourism as well? Anyone who is reliant upon the reef,
1: it can do. Yeah, again, it, it totally depends on the policyholder and the payout use case in in question, but. One of the benefits of parametric insurance is, you know, the flexibility or sort of what risks you're covering, what your payout use cases may or may not include.
0: Well, that's brilliant. Uh, uh, Yeah, that is absolutely fantastic. And and have any claims been made yet? When it's actually put to the test, has it worked?
1: So um, I guess let's take the MARA insurance program as our example here, which had the first payout uh, last year. So... Last November, um, Hurricane Lisa passed directly over Bereza's Turrialba tool as a Category One hurricane, and actually passed directly through the the bullseye of the structure. Uh, calculations that were completed by WTW confirmed that the wind speed uh, intensity reached 70 knots, which triggered, in according to the payout uh, table, a $175,000 payout which MARFUN as policyholder, received within two weeks of the event. Within 48 hours uh, of receiving that payout, Marfud was able to transfer the funds out to their brigades. Uh, In two weeks following the event, damage to the sites was assessed and, and restoration activities commenced. The group sort of organizing the intervention in this case is the Turnip Atoll Sustainability Association, TASA, TASA and, and its brigade members have participated and been trained under the, the MAR Insurance Program, were sort of standing by you know, and ready to, to jump in the water as soon as, as resources were at hand. In that particular case, they were able to stabilize and reposition, um, I think, close to 200 fragments of, of various types of coral, staghorn, and palmata, and elkhorn coral, to be more specific. Um, and they also took, I think, close to 70 fragments of the reef building, staghorn Coral, which is really a crucial sort of elements to the structure and existence of, of reefs in this case, and fix these to a nursery bed for future outplanting. But I think it's safe to say that, you know, in the absence of the insurance payout, these activities would definitely not have occurred, right? The, the coral reefs would have withstood additional damage from debris that continued to bash around and would have taken much longer to recover again if not for the the interventions that that Tasa and their brief brigades were able to conduct.
0: I mean that is absolutely brilliant. Um, that's magnificent. And um, as I understand it, kind of coral reefs are found in over one hundred countries. Uh, they underpin marine biodiversity. Over eight hundred species of, of reef-building corals. Thirty-seven percent of all fish are associated with reefs. Two hundred eighty-five thousand square kilometers. Yeah, that they, they are absolutely crucial and. Yeah, I, I wish you all the best in spreading the word and making sure that more coral reefs are insured. I think what you're doing is absolutely outstanding. So thank you. Um, I'm intrigued though as to see to think how transferable is this product. It's obviously designed for coral reefs, but could it be used for other natural ecosystems that are under threat, such as kind of mangroves or forests or rivers or anything else like that?
1: Yeah, so the application of parametric insurance is potentially relevant for a range of ecosystems, though it will always be very location and context specific. Generally speaking, the first question that we work to answer with our local partners is, is there a payout use case, right? Would liquidity immediately after a climate-related event be beneficial for the ecosystem in question? Um, So let's take one of your, your examples, mangroves we would start by identifying hazard parameter or parameters which effectively capture the impacts on mangroves. So whether mangrove losses are driven by hurricane-related wind or perhaps it's rainfall or coastal surge or some combination right, of those things. From that point, we'd undertake an assessment of the frequency or intensity of that hazard parameter and the associated mangrove loss. This would then serve as the basis for designing a product which pays out an appropriate amount, informed, of course, by an understanding of the cost of the restoration activities that would be envisioned. Um, we're, we're actually actively supporting a few mangrove projects, uh, and it, it seems that, so far anyways, what we've seen is that, in some cases, sediment dumping caused by certain events can cut off fresh water to the mangroves that, if not addressed, results in the die-off of, of the mangroves. So in that case, um, or in cases, you know, that sort of follow that um, type of situation, the payout would go towards channel clearing, dredging that, you know, if conducted within a month or two after an event, would be believed to restore the hydrology around the mangroves Ensuring, you know, that that they would remain in, intact and, and healthy.
0: As we come to the end, um, so your background, as we mentioned, is in in climate finance, and I want to ask a question about insurance as a form of of climate finance. Uh, and, and by climate finance, I'm I'm presuming that we mean using money to fight the climate crisis um, in very simplistic terms. So, if that's correct, to what extent can insurance genuinely act as climate finance? And To what extent can insurance play its part in combating the climate crisis?
1: You know, insurance at its core is about managing risks, right? And and climate change is is really, of course, one of the most important risks of our time. While insurance alone can certainly not be a comprehensive solution to this complex challenge, it it can contribute in in a number of, of meaningful ways. First, you know, insurance provides a mechanism for transferring the financial risks associated with climate-related events from individuals or businesses to insurance companies. So you have this sort of risk transfer element. Um, Second, insurance companies can encourage climate-resilient practices, right? They can um, offer lower premiums to businesses that implement measures to reduce their vulnerability to climate-related risks. Third, you know, parametric insurance, as we've been discussing today, can be used to provide quick and predictable payouts following a climate-related event. Of course, it's important to recognize that there are certainly limitations and challenges associated with using insurance as a tool to fight the climate crisis and to be sort of considered as climate finance. Um, I guess one example to highlight in particular is is the affordability and accessibility of insurance, right? In many cases, insurance premiums are just simply too high for individuals, organizations, or communities, especially in the more vulnerable countries. Um, so, in this case, you know, as mentioned earlier, the the policyholder may not necessarily be the one that pays for the the premium itself, right? So, there there could be situations where premium financing originates from bilateral or multilateral donors other public sector philanthropy uh and, and so on to to help you know basically ensuring that these mechanisms and tools are deployed in situations where they're useful but where again um, the beneficiaries may not be in a position to to pay for the premium
0: themselves and, and finally Sarah uh during your time with insurance what would you say is the main lesson you've learned that, that you would want to pass on to others particularly those who maybe considering insurance as a career?
1: Yeah, so I've only been in insurance for a year and a half, so I definitely still have lots to learn. But I guess I would say so far, it's probably to to keep an open mind about the potential role for insurance to contribute to fight the dual climate and biodiversity crises, but to also recognize that it's really neither a silver bullet solution nor applicable in, in every instance.
0: Thank you, Sarah. That was Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. RPC Radio. Radio. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered, which is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will also love our other podcasts, Taxing Matters and Money Covered, plus The Fix, which is co-hosted by my colleague Kelly Thompson. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day.